Hold Still by author Tim Adler is a nerve-twisting thriller that begins with a wife photographing the moment of her husband's death. In a world where hundreds of new books are released every day, how can readers find yours? I'm Stephen Campbell. I'm the CEO of Camven Media. What we do is provide digital assets and strategies to help authors find and keep new readers and fans. That's the way I pay the bills. But in this show, you and I indulge our shared love of mysteries and crime novels by spending time with the people who write them. Are you ready? Let's get this show rolling. Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Tim Adler, the author of Hold Still, which was released today. Tim, welcome. Hi, Steve. How are you? I am well. I'm talking to you. I'm in Naples, Florida. You're in England. Are you in London? Yes, I'm in the London at the heart of a great newspaper. (laughs) And which, which newspaper is that? Uh, it's the uh, it's the Daily Telegraph, which okay. is the uh, the biggest newspaper in uh, in Britain. This is your third thriller, right? Yes, I mean it's it's a step up for me because or a step change for me, should I say? Because the first two uh, I self published, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and um, although I have representation. Uh, and Amazon has a, a special arrangement for uh, writers with representation in that it gives the books a big marketing push, which has been very helpful for the first two. With this third one, I've realized that you know a lot of my potential readers still like going into bricks and mortar bookstores uh, and buying paper books. So I was very keen to get a conventional publishing deal for this one. Well, congratulations for uh, for doing that. I'm, I'm curious about uh, the three books. I, I noticed the listing on Amazon. It's Tim Adler 1, Tim Adler 2, and Tim Adler 3. So people can sort of see uh, that there are three books, but it's not it's not a series. Well, I mean, this comes from uh, uh, listening to the Author Biz podcast uh, regularly, uh, and the message that keeps getting underlined is, you know, you've got to try and you've got to make it clear to readers that this is part of a series. Uh, so, yes, they are standalone books, but you know, I wanted to get those readers to, uh, you know, to follow me as a writer. Which is a great idea, and uh, of course, I appreciate the plug for the Author Biz. Which, uh, if you only listen to CrimeFiction.fm, you can find out more about the Author Biz at theauthorbiz.com. Let's talk for a little bit about Hold Still and the fascinating hook that that you have for this book. Well, the uh, it's about a, uh, a woman who photographs the moment of her husband's death. And on holiday. And when she gets back home to England, she looks deeper into the photographs that she took there and start and, and suspects that everybody else in the photo uh, is somehow involved in her husband's murder. Uh, and the, the idea that was running through my mind was kind of a, a murder on the Orient Express for the Instagram generation. But she starts piecing together uh, a collage of from all the other people who were in the square that night her husband's died. So Instagram, uh, Twitter, um, uh, 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 you know, all these messages, social media feeds to try and build up a, a picture in the round of what happened in the square that night. 
when you and I chatted via email about your book prior to me having the opportunity to read it, I I knew that there was going to be this scene where the husband died and she was taking a picture, but I was still shocked when I read it. Well, uh, I, well, I'm glad because I think one of the you know things about trying to be a good writer is is you want to surprise the reader, and and good storytelling is about surprises. I think that's why I get why I think the video games are so boring because I want to be surprised by the experience. All right, now you have a back. You mentioned that you're working at, at or that you're at the center of a great newspaper. And you have a background in journalism. You've done entertainment reporting and business reporting. How does, how does that background of yours help you when it comes to crafting uh, an intricately plotted story like this? Well, um, uh, my background... And I started out as an entertainment journalist working for a big American <clears throat> website called Deadline Hollywood, mm-hmm. which eventually became part of Variety. And uh, uh, so, but, you know, my, back, my real training is as a, as a pure uh, journalist. And I think that as a journalist, I mean, you're all, it's about knowing, understanding how to tell a story and more importantly, how to write succinctly. And my day job is editing copy uh, from journalists um, all over. And I think you quickly understand, you know, how to, I think the secret of good writing is trying to express something in as few words as possible and boiling down copy until it's, it's as, as succinct as it can be. And just an observation on the state of the world of journalism today from my perspective here in in Naples, Florida. I'm almost 60 years old, and and I remember some great journalists, great newspaper writers, and the way they could craft a story. And that I will read things today where I'll be three-quarters of the way through the article, and I have no idea what what they're talking about. It it just – Exactly what you're describing uh, should be done. Uh, I, I'm wondering if it's just no longer taught or not taught at the same levels in journalism schools now. Well, I think it's the, the problem is uh, how to finance the news business. And uh, here at the Daily Telegraph, it's you know, a real problem because editorial news just does not make money. And increasingly, we're going. We're having to move into uh, advertorial, or what's fancily called native content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this hybrid between journalism and adv- advertising, just as a way to um, to keep the newspaper going. I mean, it works from the advertiser's point of view, but you know, how to finance the news business is a problem every news or- news organisation has. I remember being shocked the first time I heard that a, a fairly well-known uh, U.S. author was being paid for product placements in his book. And I, I, I now come to understand that at a certain level, it's not that unusual, but it was sort of shocking at the time. And, and I, I guess that's what you're describing taking place in, in the news business as well. Well, I mean, it's, it's – uh, I mean, I – 
I mean, I'm not that familiar about how American uh, newspapers are funded, but here at The Telegraph, we have to rely on our own wits. Other newspaper groups, such as The Times of London, mm -hmm. has a powerful uh, pay TV, digital TV service behind it. Um, the Guardian newspaper, uh, which some of your listeners will be aware of, has a huge trust fund uh, that backs it up. But it loses £100 million pounds 200 million dollars a year Good grief. we have we have to uh try and make a profit just on our own wits and if that means having to go more into advertorial and native content as a way to support the news business then so be it now it, it, with your background in in journalism and the things that you've reported on i'm, I'm sure listeners won't be surprised that you've had some success as a non-fiction author uh, and, and have had, had have published some books that related specifically to the areas that you cover. Why did you decide to to try your hand at fiction? Well, it was. I mean, I've always wanted to write fiction, like most journalists. Um, uh, I wrote three nonfiction books, uh, all about the entertainment business and, and the movie industry. Uh, the second one was called Hollywood and the Mob, and that was a history of how the mafia has corrupted Hollywood. Uh, with my third book, which was a family biography of the Redgrave acting dynasty, mm -hmm. I found myself in a, a nightmarish legal situation with the Redgrave family where they blocked my book being published, um, even though it had been cleared by the lawyers. I mean, it really was a nightmare. And, and a book that I'd spent four years writing, um, uh, bookshops wouldn't stock it. Even the mighty Amazon behaved like the, uh, the housekeeper in Tom and Jerry whenever she sees a man. House. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and, ev and, and eventually, it was the power of the press that got the book uh, published. Because I, um, uh, I went to another newspaper, and I told them the story that here was Vanessa Redgrave, uh, at one time an ambassador for human rights uh, for the United Nations. One of which is the right to self-expression, and here she was blocking this book that I'd written about her and her family. And um, uh, the newspaper, the Sunday Times, God bless it, picked up the story, ran with it. That gave the publisher the courage to publish. Um, and, um, you know, the book came out to very good reviews. Uh, uh, after the legal correspondence kept going for a bit, and eventually we were told that... Uh, uh, Vanessa Redgrave no, want, no longer wanted to continue the correspondence. And as my lawyer turned around to me, he said, Tim, that's a great victory for free speech. <laughs> and, and so then you eventually turned to fiction. And you, you've had, you mentioned that you started out as a self-published author, and you had a great deal of success with your first two books, uh, the first of which I think was, I don't know, was the first one Slow Bleed or Surrogate? Uh, the first one was Slow Bleed, and, and that recently went to uh, to number one in the U.S. Amazon Kindle psychological thriller chart. Um, and and yes, you know, self-publishing has been good for me. I wouldn't say that I've uh, you know I'm anywhere near retiring uh, from the money, but it certainly takes care of the supermarket food bill mm -hmm. uh, each month. Mm -hmm. So that's been good, but. For the for the generation of readers that I know read my books, which are you know forty plus, that generation still likes to read paper books, and it was important to me you know to get into bookstores. 
And so with Hold Still, what was, what was different about the process of not just writing, but writing and publishing the book, knowing that, that this was not going to be self-published? Was the process different for you? Well, yes. I mean, there were a lot, many, many more stages in the editing uh, process, and uh, there was a, uh, a copy editor, uh, and then a proofreader. Um, so there were many more. There were many more stages um, along the way. I mean, I've been very happy with this publisher because it's been very collaborative, um, uh, and unlike previous publishers. Uh, the choice of cover design was mine. Uh, we really have walked in lockstep along every stage of the process. So perhaps that shows that traditional publishers are now waking up to the change that there's been because of the e-book revolution and self-publishing and, and taking more on board what the author thinks. I mean, the word author does mean authority. So they should know what they're talking about. And let me congratulate you since I know you had something to do with the cover then because it is spectacular. It, it is just such – I'll use the term eye-catching and people can see from the, from the show notes or if they, if they go to Amazon to, to purchase a copy of the book exactly what I'm talking about. But it's, it is an eye-catching cover. It just – and you know, well, the, it, it's an image of an eye as, as well. So it sounds silly to even say it, but it's totally eye-catching. Well, that's very kind of you, Stephen, and, and one of my colleagues here at the newspaper uh, designed it for me. I mean, the, the, the inspiration uh, for the book came from a moment when we were on holiday about three or four years ago, mm -hmm. and I was taking photographs of my son, and he was jumping off these high rocks into, uh, into water, and through the viewfinder, it really looked like he was going to sort of brain himself to death any minute. And I suddenly thought, what would happen if, if, if I suddenly took a photograph at the moment that he hit his head? How would I feel? And that was the inspiration for the book. But you did so much more than that. I mean, it's, it, there's a, a husband who dies. There's the picture. There's all the other things that you've already described. And there are all these twists and turns throughout the book, some of which are pretty shocking. And... So you didn't just take a simple idea. You, you took a simple idea as a jumping-off part into the story, and then you, you, you take the reader through a maze, which was a, very, it was a very enjoyable read. Well, that's very kind of you. I mean, the, we should also point out that the book is set, uh, most of the book is set in Albania. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, not, uh, not which... the usual setting for a, for a crime novel. No, no, and I, and I definitely did not want to write what you would call a cosy. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted this to be a kind of a hard, you know, a hard and fast read. Uh, but Albania is a very interesting country because um, it was cut off from the rest of the world, really, uh, after the Second World War up until the, uh, the early 90s. Uh, not only did it fall out with the West, because it was a communist country. It also managed to fall out with the rest of the Soviet Union and then China, because its dictator became increasingly paranoid. And uh, so 
stepping back into the country like it was like stepping back into a time warp and all the countryside is populated by these concrete bunkers that the populate because the population believed that they were going to be invaded at any minute it's the most bizarre country how much time did you have you spent in albania uh, well, I went there for a research trip, uh, and I was very fortunate because I had an absolutely wonderful guide, and uh, he took me uh, all around. Mm -hmm. I mean, the answer is not as long as I would like to, and I would heartily recommend any of your listeners looking for a cheap holiday in Europe to go there because it's absolutely beautiful, uh, and go there before it starts being built up like the rest of you, what was the former Yugoslavia, uh, which is now just one enormous building site. <laughs> Any particular locations within Albania that you would recommend? Well, if you go down, if you look on a map, because it's not a big country, if you look on a map, you want to go along the coast heading towards Greece, this Ionian Sea. I mean, thank gosh... Um, uh, thank God UNESCO has slapped a preservation order on that coast because they saw what has happened with uh, Croatia. So uh, it's a lovely, lovely coastline. And also, it's so, you know, it is so cheap still, uh, whereas the rest of Europe, with its unified euro currency, you pray pretty much the same wherever you go. So as a tourist, it's nice to go somewhere and get some bang for your buck. Ah, that's good. Travel tips here on CrimeFiction.fm. <laughs> this is a first. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> so we've been speaking with Tim Adler. The book is Hold Still. It's uh, out today. Tim, where can people find the book? Well, uh, you can uh, uh, get download the ebook from Amazon.com. And uh, if uh, any American publishers are listening, uh, the American rights still have to be sold. Ah, well, there we have it. American publishers. And people can also, people can learn more about you at your website, which is? Uh, www.timadlerauthor.com. Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. I, I really enjoyed your book. Well, it's a been a real pleasure, and I'm a regular listener, so thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that.